now that everybody's awake, let's visualize the merit field. And ourselves surrounded by all the sentient beings throughout the whole universe. So think about this whole world created by ignorance, existing by ignorance, perpetuated by ignorance, and all the sentient beings under the control of ignorance, afflictions, and karma. And yet each and every one of us have the potential to become a Buddha. So let's try and use our potential, not just for our own well-being, but especially for the the well-being of all the other living beings who are just like us and wanting happiness and not suffering. So when you think about what's going on in in this world and what sentient beings are doing, uh, you really get a sense of it. It is uh, like a nut house, and we're all the nuts in it. Um, and how people are just going around wanting happiness, not suffering, and completely getting messed up in all their afflictive emotions and wrong views and so on. So while we at least have the fortune to know we're in that situation, at least sometimes we understand we're in that situation, sometimes we're out to lunch, but since we have that ability to know that, then let's uh, do what we can to overcome it. Mm-hmm. So there's soldiers killing other people are under the influence of afflictions and karma. So our, our compassion needs to go to all of them. Okay, so before we go to the text, there's one question. 
So I have heard some Buddhists say that Ukraine is experiencing the results of collective karma, and that is why there is so much suffering. That some are dying because of their their individual karma is ripening. That is why some are getting killed by the bombs and others in the same building are not. Babies, children. Please help me to understand that. This is that a correct view, or is it an overstatement of karma? Actually, it's pretty much my understanding of karma. Okay, that we have collective karma doing due to being involved in certain actions with a group of people before, and favoring the. Um, the actions that were done by the group for the purpose that the group was formed. Okay. So, uh, you know, you're in an army and then if you rejoice at all the other people, the killing that other people do, then you're creating that collective karma with that whole group. Or even if you haven't killed anybody yourself, I'm sure all the people sitting, you know, around that huge table with um, Vladdy are, uh, they haven't killed, you know, I don't know if they've killed anybody directly, but they certainly rejoice in it. Yeah, at least when some people are killed. And so when we do that, again, we're creating collective karma with the group of people who are doing that, the killing for that purpose. It could be this similar for people who work together uh, for an exterminating company, killing all the bugs, you know, or whatever, something like that. It, uh, group karma or collective karma is also creative, like we're creating collective karma right now. We're coming together to learn and practice the Dharma with a motivation to be a benefit to all beings. And so we're creating good karma together, and then we can experience the result of this good karma together in a similar way that when people create negative karma together, they experience a suffering result together. Yeah. So, uh, you know, all of us being here right now could very well be the result of a collective karma that we created in the past to learn and study the Dharma again together. Now, within the, the, the collective karma that the group creates, that we create as part of a group, there's also the individual karma, okay? So, you know, and, and we experience the result of the individual karma ourselves. And so that would be why in the situation of Ukraine, um, you know, in the, the theater that was uh, bombed in, in Mariupol, you know, 130 people lived, and they don't really know how many others. There was a video that came out today. So there are some other people in there 
but how many deaths, they, they don't know. Some people estimate maybe 300. So again, that, that comes because of the individual karma that people created. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if it's uh, the example could be what um, President Obama wrote in his last chapter of the Promised Land where he led the planning of the assassination of Osama bin Laden and all that group of people, the Navy SEALs that killed and they all witnessed. And then after that, people in America rejoiced. And you know. That's why we have to be very careful what we rejoice in. So that is like a collective karma. <laughs> They're creating collective karma, you know, by sharing in, in uh, feeling, you know, as a group advocating for uh, somebody to be killed and then rejoicing at it, you know. So, um, yeah, you, you don't, you're not doing the action yourself, but by rejoicing what others have done, it seems like, it becomes a full karma, which is... Yeah, as did everybody in this country who rejoiced. Yeah. So we have to be very careful what we rejoice at. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's why, uh, you know, in the seven-limb prayer, the fourth um, limb is to rejoice in the virtues of the holy beings and ordinary beings. And then that way, too, we're rejoicing in, uh, yeah, everything that, that all the virtue that people have done and, uh, you know, being part of that group. It's like when you go to teachings with His Holiness and you're sitting there and there's thousands of people around you and then you think, this is the only group that I know of where people have come together to learn about bodhicitta and, and wisdom. And then you go, wow, I mean, what an amazing thing. Now, of course, everybody there, you know, the little boys come, you know, I don't know how much bodhicitta they have. You know, some of them are playing during the teachings and some people are drinking Tibetan tea and eating rota and roti and, you know, people are doing all sorts of things. But there's the collective karma of, you know, coming uh, because we see something good in what's happening. Yeah. And then on an individual level, we would create, you know, if if you're just drinking tea and eating roti, uh, or kapse, you create the karma of having that motivation. <laughs> and if you're paying attention to the teachings, then as an individual, you create the karma of that motivation. Yeah. But just to be in a, a group like that, that's formed for that kind of purpose, is really extraordinary when you think about it. Yeah. Yeah, compared to when I went to USC and went, somebody took me to a football game and uh, OJ was the, what was he? 
the full back, half back, forward back, running back. He he had some back. (laughs) And, you know, all the people who were rooting for USC were screaming, except me. I wasn't even rooting. I thought the whole thing was quite boring. But people were screaming, kill, kill, at the top of their voices. Because he was the big star. And it looked kind of like that implanted a seed in his mind. But, uh, yeah, you know, if you go to something like that and you rejoice, and you're rejoicing it, you know, they didn't really mean that he should kill those people, you know. But shouting kill is has a certain flavor with it, doesn't it? Even if you don't want that person to literally kill somebody. It, yeah. Okay. So all kinds of karma can be created as a group. Okay, so now we're really going to get past the top, the first line of on page 190 this, this week. Okay, do you think we can do it? Okay, so aging or death. So aging and death are the result of birth. Yeah. Did you ever think about that before you came to the Dharma? We usually think, you know, death, you know, it's a result of, I don't know, overeating or, you know, taking fentanyl or a car accident or cancer or old age or whatever it is. I don't know, do any people ever die of old age when they write out the death certificate? Do they ever give old age? Or they always have some diagnosis and they never put birth as the cause of death. But it is. Yeah, it is. And it would really save them a lot of paper if they just printed printed it in there, you know. Yeah, as soon as you're born, that's what's going to happen. So aging is the body uh, and mind that decay under the control of afflictions and karma. Death is the cessation of a similar type of mental and physical aggregates. Okay, so it's happening, aging and death, under the control of afflictions and karma. So it is, there's nothing wrong with aging and dying. It's a very natural process. Okay, as soon as you're born, that's what's what's happening. Okay, it's interesting. I did a a course once um, on uh, like palliative care and counseling people during that time. And it came out in the course that some people and some religions make it sound like if you die, you did something wrong. You're getting punished. Yeah. So instead of seeing it as a natural thing, you know, God is punishing you. You were 
evil, and uh, this is what happens. And, you know, of course, for somebody to be thinking like that while they're dying is very, very uh, horrible. And, you know, we may say it's cruel to teach somebody that, but it certainly is implanted in, in some religions. And also some people will say, uh, and this is um, new age too, uh, oh, you got cancer because of your anger. Yeah, you, you're, you're sick because you're greedy or attribute some uh, emotion to as the cause of the disease. Now, it is true that our emotions and our thoughts affect our body, and our body affects our thoughts and emotions. Yeah. But I don't think somebody just getting angry in this life is what's going to be the primary cause for somebody getting sick. You know, that is probably due more to previous life karma or some really heavy karma that was created in this life. But in any case, again, it's not good to say that to people, yeah, because it sounds like you're, you're blaming them for being sick, whereas as soon as we're born with a body under the control of afflictions and karma, unless we die first, we're going to get sick. It's just the way it is, okay? So it's it's not a punishment, uh, but some people do make it into one, but it's it's not. Okay, death is the cessation of a similar type of mental and physical aggregates. So our body, you know, has a uh, the continuity of our body is the continuity of a, of a the similar type. You know, and our mental aggregates, you know, they're in a continuity of a similar type as well. Death is the mind separation from the body under the control of afflictions and karma. Do you notice how all of these say under the control of afflictions and karma? This is trying to get through to us that we are under the control of afflictions and karma. Because we don't tend to think like that very much. We think we're autonomous individuals and we should be able to do anything at any time. And it never dawns on us that maybe we can't because we are limited sentient beings under the control of afflictions and karma. So this link is called aging or death because some beings die before becoming aged. The Buddha says, the aging of beings in the various orders of beings, their growing old, brokenness of teeth, grayness of hair, wrinkling of skin, decline of vitality, generation of faculties, degeneration of faculties. This is called aging. The passing of beings from the various orders of beings, the various realms, their perishing, breakup, disappearance, dying, completion of time, 
breakup of the aggregates, laying down of the carcass. This is called death. So there you have it, okay? Yeah, growing old. Anybody here growing younger? Society says being young is the what everybody wants to be, and nobody is becoming younger. Everybody's becoming older. Yeah, brokenness of teeth, grayness of hair. <laughs> okay. Yeah, amazing. People hate having gray hair. You know, you gotta color it something. Because uh, gray hair means you're old. Yeah, wrinkling of skin. No, that's not happening to me. <laughs> yeah. Have you ever looked at a picture of yourself? I mean, when you look at a picture of yourself when you were a teenager or, or you know, early 20s, yeah, you know, I'm older now. I'm older. I don't look like that. But then you look at a picture of yourself five years ago, and it's like, oh, I don't look like that either. <laughs> you know, five years ago, that's already pretty old, and I still, and I don't look like that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You see on our website, you know, for all the monastics, there's a baby picture. And then we have a childhood picture, right? And a picture sometime as an adult before ordination. And then an ordained picture. Yeah. Very interesting. Look at those pictures. Yeah. Decline of vitality. Yeah, sometimes it's your body like that. <laughs> yeah. Degeneration of faculties. Okay, I have hearing aids. I have glasses. You know, you can't see so well. You can't hear so well. You can't smell so well. You can't walk so well. You can't, you know. You, but you can still complain very well. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, so aging happening to all of us. Yeah. Have you ever seen friends that you haven't seen in, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 years? Some of you aren't even that old, but yeah. And then you still have this image in your mind of what they looked like when they were in high school, but they don't look like that anymore. Yeah? And it's really rather shocking. One guy at a meditation course that I, I was teaching, uh, he told the story of how somehow he managed to, or get, to get in contact with young one girl that he dated in high school. And so he was going to go down and visit her. And, uh, and he was so excited, you know, because... Mm -hmm. And so you know how you get dressed up and everything, so you look really good for somebody you want to impress. So he gets there, and he rings the doorbell, and 
you know, this is like a few decades after high school. And she comes to the door and she's about 350 pounds. And he was expecting 18 and what you look like when you're 18. You know, and I don't know what his face showed, but he said it was like everything just went, you know. After my mom died, my dad pulled out a uh, some newspaper clippings of a girl that he dated uh, before he met my mom that he was very interested in, but he didn't think he had enough money to get married at that time. And so he was already at that old was he? he was in his 80s at that time. And he called her. Yeah, he looked her up and he called her. And uh, she uh, had a child down in Southern California and was going to go visit them and so stopped by the house. And dad, you know, was somehow, again, thinking that she looked like she did when she was like, you know, 20 or something. Uh, And she didn't, you know. He, He was quite disappointed, but not... Totally disappointed, <laughs> you know. There was, you know, how that is. You still think that after so many years, that person hasn't changed, and you haven't changed, and all you have to do is see each other, and then the love is going to blossom again. Yeah, and the the, the three of us are kids, are kind of looking at each other <laughs> like. Dad, you're too old for this. (laughs) But we didn't say anything. He felt good. Okay, being under the influence of afflictions and karma, our bodies become ill, age, and die without choice. That's the thing, without choice. We don't choose any of this. Contemplating this, enables strong renunciation of samsara's dukkha to grow in our minds. Aging can be spoken of in two ways. First one, progressive aging occurs each moment of life. Yeah. Beginning the moment after conception. It is not the case that we grow up an aging starts at an amorphous future date. Rather, from the moment after conception onward, we are aging and nearing death. Yeah. So it's really rather strange, I'm going to say this on Luke's birthday, that we celebrate birthdays because my teachers say we're celebrating somebody's approach to death. Somebody's closeness to death. Yeah. Okay, so rather from the moment after conception onward, we are aging and nearing death. Then the second uh, way that we can speak of death is deteriorate, or of aging, sorry. Deterioration is aging 
with the discomfort and fear that accompany old age. So discomfort, I think we all experience that. Yeah, it's part of the aging process. It, you know, can become more prominent at one time in your life and less prominent at another time, but we've all all experienced the discomfort of aging. I mean, let's face it, we don't have the same energy and, and um, you know, abilities to, to do things as when we were kids. And when you think about it, all these athletes, yeah, I mean, these uh, the gymnasts, yeah, by the time you're 19, you are over the hill. Yeah, and many of these people in the Winter Olympics who were, yeah, skaters and bobsled riders and so on, you know, just you can't do that for very long. Aging you know, makes it so that your body says, uh-uh. But deterioration is aging with the discomfort and fear that accompany old age. Okay. So when you deal, you know, with your elderly parents or elderly relatives, yeah, or friends, can you see the fear? Do they ever express the fear that they have? The fear of being useless, the fear of being forgotten, of the fear of nobody even caring if they live or die. Yeah, the fear of what's going to happen when they die. And there's incredible amount of fear, uh, I think, as people age, and it becomes more and more obvious that death is coming soon. And especially if you don't have any kind of spiritual practice, then death, you look at death, and death is the cessation of everything you know and love. And you, even the cessation of your own existence, and that becomes quite terrifying for people. So the Sutra on the Ten Grounds, Dasabhumaka Sutra, says, death has two functions. One, it causes a conditioned phenomenon to disintegrate. So it causes our body to completely disintegrate. Yeah. At which the body does after we die. Yeah. Even though people, uh, what do you call it? You, you put all the chemicals in. Embalm. Yeah. So even though people get embalmed, they give instructions about, what clothes they want to wear and how to do their hair and so on and so forth. Okay. Um, but that condition phenomena of the body is dead. It's a carcass. And two, the other function of death, is it brings about the cause of the continuation of ignorance. So that actually is the worst result of death. Of the two results, just the discontinuation of uh, the aggregates, 
That's happened. We've died many, many times, okay? What's worse is if we have not uh, developed any realizations of emptiness, then dying just becomes a, a cause. It brings about the cause of the continuation of ignorance. We die and ignorance continues and we get reborn. Yeah. So sometimes when they say, you know, what is the cause of birth? Yeah. Uh, craving. Yeah. Dying and then craving arises. So death itself is a conditioned phenomenon, a result of birth. Okay. So if, if it's a result of birth, remember anything that's a result becomes a cause for something else. It causes a life to cease, and for ordinary beings, it enables ignorance and samsaric rebirth to continue. Between aging and death, yeah, or between birth and death, well, aging occurs the moment after birth, so between aging and death, is lamentation, sorrow, not getting what we seek, being separated from what is dear, encountering and being forced to endure what we do not like, being disillusioned when events do not occur as wished, and being unable to control the experiences and events we encounter in life. Okay? So you hear, you know, this list sometimes with more things sometimes with less things when they talk about the nature of samsara but lamentation yeah you're upset you're you're yeah whether you cry or not you're upset about whatever is going on in life sorrow of having not done what you wish you had done or done what you wish you hadn't done not getting what we want, that one happens a lot. Being separated from what is dear, that one happens a lot. I mean, just think of these people who from one day to the next realize they had to pick up and leave their home and go to another country and take a small suitcase and grab whatever they can. And they don't even know if they're ever coming back to their house. You know, and the family's divided. So you leave and you don't know if, if, you know, you're going to see your spouse or your kids again. Encountering and being forced to endure what we do not like at all. Beans, cabbage, criticism. Yeah, which one's worse, beans, cabbage, or criticism? (laughs) Getting criticized? Okay. (laughs) Why do we dislike being criticized when we're the ones who are often the cause of the criticism? (laughs) You know, it's like, 
act like a jerk and somebody says, you're acting like a jerk, and then we get upset at them for no, noticing what's true. Being disillusioned when events do not occur as wished. Oh, I thought this was going to happen. Oh, I thought we had the Foswall all planned out. Lamentation. And being unable to control the experiences and events we encounter in life. Yeah. So, there's so many experiences and events that we wish we could control, and we can't. We have no control over them. Reflecting on this closely, we begin to see cyclic existence for what it is, unreliable and repugnant. Now, some people, I've noticed, that when they hear teachings, you know, like the nature of samsara is uh, repugnant, or things are impermanent and therefore unreliable, or what we consider beautiful, like our body, is actually foul, and what we consider to be genuine happiness is actually a lesser degree of suffering. Okay? That people, when they hear those things, uh, you know, which the Buddha definitely taught to wake us up, they don't like hearing it. They do not like hearing it. And I remember teaching, uh, you know, this group asked me, uh, you know, to talk about the four truths. And so I was talking about these first four attributes of the of the uh, true true dukkha, yeah, which boil down to what the Theravadas call the three characteristics. And some people were just they were really unhappy. How can you say that the body is foul? You know, the body is not foul. Sometimes it's unattractive, but it's not foul. How can you say that winning the lottery is in the nature of dukkha? (laughs) Yeah, that's the utmost happiness. They were really upset. And and yet, they wanted very much to learn about emptiness. But Nagarjuna says, it's very clear in Precious Garland, he says that realizing the foulness of the body is really comparatively easy because we can even see that with our sense organs. You know, you can look, you can smell, yeah. I don't want to say taste, but, you know, you could. But you can very easily see the foulness of the body. You don't need reasoning. You don't need to study philosophy. You don't need scriptural quotations or or, uh, inferential reasoning. It's, It's 
evident phenomena. Okay. And he says, if you can't understand that and accept that, how are you going to realize emptiness, which is a, a hidden phenomena that you can only first penetrate through reasoning? Yeah? And he says that so clearly. And, and still, it, it like it goes up above our head, you know? Because we there's something in us. We really want samsara and nirvana at the same time. And that that's when you want samsara and nirvana at the same time, you just get samsara. Yeah. Unfortunately. So that when we say that we begin to see cyclic existence for what it is, unreliable and repugnant, it does not mean that we go around saying, oh, life has no value, it has no meaning, it's all suffering. The the first noble truth was life is suffering. No, the first noble truth is not life is suffering. It is life is in the nature of dukkha. That's why suffering is such a bad translation. Because it gives you the feeling that, you know, you're, oh, I'm suffering, I'm suffering, you know, that your whole life is this evident kind of suffering that brings you overt pain. And it's not. Yeah. Is it, is our life unsatisfactory? Is samsara unsatisfactory? You bet. Okay. And so we can see, yes, it's, uh, samsara is unreliable. It's repugnant because we, we don't get everything we want. We know that. Why do we get mad when Buddha tells us what we already know? Yeah, we don't get everything we want. And we we often get things we don't want. We know that. Yeah. Why do we get upset when the Buddha just describes our experience to us? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? It's like, I don't want to hear that. So it doesn't mean we get depressed when we hear this, yeah? Because these are points that it's important for us to understand so we can develop the aspiration to be free of samsara, okay? So it's like if, you know, if you're incarcerated and you think the prison is great, you know, it's like this prison food is fantastic. Never heard any of the guys I write to say that, but let's pretend, you know, this, this, I, I get three hots in a cot in prison and the food is great and my company is great and we have a television set and I don't have to work. Most of the guys in prison want to work. They want to do something useful. You know, it, it, it doesn't mean that, that 
we just go around being depressed all the time. But if you're in prison and you think the prison is fantastic, yeah. Wow, when I was at home, we only had a black and white TV. And now, look, a big one in color. Of course, it's 20 years later and they, you know, (laughs) of course, you didn't have a color TV when you were little. But, you know, if you think prison's wonderful, you don't want to get out. And similarly, if we think samsara's wonderful, we don't want to get out. We just want to tweak it and make it better. So it's like, you know, you're in samsara at maybe a maximum security and happiness is going to minimum security, but you're still in prison. Hmm. The link of aging or death includes all our experiences of the dukkha of pain and the dukkha of change which result from the preceding link, birth. This points to a deeper level of dukkha, the pervasive dukkha of conditioning, which is the underlying basis for all other dukkha. Why do we have the dukkha of pain? Why do we have the dukkha of change? Because we have the dukkha of we have pervasive the pervasive dukkha of conditioning. And what are we conditioned by? Afflictions and karma. Why is it pervasive? Because it affects, you know, all aspects of our life. Here, the 11th link, taking birth under the control of ignorance and karma that entails assuming new polluted aggregates that are the basis for more dukkha is the primary meaning of pervasive conditioned dukkha. Okay, so what's the the big thing of real meaning of pervasive conditioned dukkha? Taking another birth under the control of ignorance and karma. Okay. So you're taking another birth. You're, yeah, you're uh, getting those new, you assume new polluted aggregates. Why are your aggregates polluted? They're under the influence of ignorance. Okay. And our our aggregates, okay, our body and mind, they are the basis of our dukkha in this life. Our body hurts, our mind is unhappy. It's our body and mind is also the result of previously created ignorance and karma. And our body and mind, especially our body, is the basis upon which we create more negative karma that will ripen in future lives. Okay? And so this whole process continues on under the influence of ignorance, afflictions, and karma. And so that's what we have to really understand deeply so that we aspire for awakening. Okay? 
When you understand this deep, deeply, it doesn't mean you go around with your head hanging low. Life is unreliable and repugnant, and I'm just getting born and aging and dying, and the whole thing's totally hopeless. And, you know, is that going to get you out of samsara? Nope. That's just another form of samsara. Isn't it? Okay. So what the Buddha is trying to get us to understand is what samsara is, how it is perpetuated by factors in our own mind. So those are the first two truths. But the Buddha didn't just teach two truths. He taught four of them. Okay. So there is the cessation to all of this. And there's a path to get to that cessation. Okay. So, you know, why are we in this situation? Because of causes and conditions. Yeah. Can those causes and conditions be eliminated and counteracted? Definitely. Do we have the potential to do it? Yes, little old me does have that potential. Okay, so is nirvana in the realm of possibility? Is full awakening in the realm of possibility? You bet. Yeah, we can create the causes for it and stop the causes for samsara. So that's why we reflect not only on the first two truths, but on the last two as well. Okay, this is important. Where does birth come from? From the preceding link, renewed existence. This comes from its preceding link, clinging. Clinging is the mind that seeks a new set of aggregates. It arises from craving, which does not want to separate from its object. Craving arises in response to pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral feelings that are experienced owing to contact, which is the coming together of the cognitive faculty, the object, and the immediately preceding consciousness. Contact comes from the sixth sense, uh, the sensory, it should read, the six sensory sources. Yeah. And when and above when it says consciousness, immediately preceding consciousness. So the six sensory sources, eye, ear, nose, tongue, body, and mental. And these arise from name and form, the five aggregates. Name and form arise from consciousness, which appropriates the new form. Third link consciousness is the consciousness on which a karmic seed has been placed. It arises from formative action, which is produced by ignorance. The entire unsatisfactory sequence of the 12 links of dependent origination is rooted in ignorance. To be liberated from this cycle, we must must generate the wisdom realizing emptiness, that uproots this ignorance. So that's the important conclusion to draw from that. Okay. 
So now the reflection. So here's your homework for next week. Beginning with ignorance, slowly contemplate each link and investigate what is the nature or meaning of this link and make an example in your life. Two, what is its function? How does it operate? What does it cause? And again, make an example. And then third, what is its cause? Yeah. How is it related to the preceding link? Make example. Fourth, what is its result? How is it related to the subsequent link? And fifth, what is the antidote that will stop this link? And to stop one link, you may have to stop other links that come before it. Yeah. Okay, so we finished chapter seven, but we haven't finished samsara. But at least we finished chapter seven. In each of the links, there was this um, line that said, you know, ignorance afflicts transmigrating, transmigrating means because. Yeah. And um, there's wasn't that phrase for um, aging or death. Um, I didn't know where where that was coming. Like, was that coming from a particular source? That, uh, yeah, or? when uh, La- when Lama Zopar, Lama Yeshi gave teachings on this, mm. they came in. So, so it must have been from a text. But I think we can figure out how aging and death afflict sentient beings. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's actually explained in the in the yeah. In, Okay, let's start chapter eight. So dependent origination, cycling in samsara. So having learned the meaning of each of the 12 links individually, we will now look at various descriptions of how they function together to produce rebirth and all of our experiences in samsara. This will help us to understand clearly our situation in cyclic existence and inspire us to be conscientious and mindful of our thoughts, words, and deeds so as to avoid creating causes for unfortunate rebirths. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the benefits of meditating on the 12 links. Is it makes you want to be, it encourages our introspective awareness so that we're aware of what we're thinking, uh, feeling, and saying. It will also energize us to engage in purification practices to prevent the seeds of destructive karma from ripening as unfortunate rebirths. Furthermore, it will arouse our enthusiasm to learn about, contemplate, and meditate on emptiness in order to free ourselves from cyclic existence. Then, when we think of sentient beings bound in the cycle of innumerable sets of 12 links, compassion and bodhicitta will grow in our hearts. So these are the benefits of studying this topic. Okay? So if you find yourself avoiding this topic, 
do some contemplation on these benefits. Yeah. And then that will have you make you have some, uh, you know, greater interest in them. Okay. So now, uh, how the 12 links produce a life. So, what, what we have to remember, and there's going to be many different explanations of how the 12 links operate together. So I actually uh, recommend you do you read ahead a little bit because it will help you understand, you know, when, we, when the teachings on that come. Because we've learned 1, 2, 3, 4, up to 12, okay? But the way they occur in our lives are not one, two, three, four, okay, in order. Sometimes you get these first, then you get the later ones, then you get these, then you get these. And sometimes the way they're described together, you're taking links that are actually from one set of 12 links and you're making them into another scenario, okay? So it's actually, because when we, we start with ignorance, then all in one set of 12 links, all those 12 started with that particular instance of ignorance, okay? But when we describe how these things work, you know, and fit together, sometimes you get different links from one life followed by different links from another life and different links. We'll get into this, but I'm just giving you a warning so that you don't get confused because many times when we start understanding it more, it's like, Wait a minute. One, two, one, two, three, eight, nine, ten, eleven, four, five, six, seven, twelve. Hmm. Yeah. Like, how did you get that? So there's different ways uh, that are very helpful in seeing how samsara uh, is perpetuated and how the links from different uh, lifetimes, you know, or how the the individual links from different sets of 12 links can come together, yeah, and how the links can occur over a period of two or three lifetimes, you know. Okay. Or the link, the links of one set can occur over two or three lifetimes. Yeah. Okay, so how the 12 links produce a life. In verse 2 of the heart of dependent origination, okay, Nagarjuna says, the first, eighth, and ninth are afflictions. The, seven, the second and tenth are karma. The remaining seven are dukkha. Okay, so of the 12 links, three of them, ignorance, craving, and clinging. Note that these are all mental factors. Yeah. 
Those three are afflictions. Yeah. Two of them, formative action and renewed existence, are karma. Yeah. And then seven of them, yeah, the second half of consciousness, name and form, or actually all of consciousness, uh, name and form, six sources, contact, feeling, birth, aging, or death, those seven are all dukkha, the, the results. Okay. So the three afflictions and the two actions, uh, when we ask what are the true uh, origins of dukkha, what is the second truth? Yeah, the three afflictions and the two actions. Yeah. And what is the first truth? Those seven that I just read out, okay? Those ones are true dukkha. So looked at from the broad perspective of, of continual rebirth in samsara, each of these three groups causes the others with no fixed order. Okay, so you have afflictions, karma, and result. And you watch in life, you know, okay, yeah, uh, Okay, so there was some ignorant, there was some affliction in a, in a previous life. Then there was uh, the kar- karma created. Then there were more afflictions that made the karma ripen. Then you get these different results. And by while you're living the different results, true dukkha, you're also in the process of having more ignorance, which creates more karma, yeah, and that's getting stored up in the mind stream until you get to the end of that life, and then you have craving, uh, craving, clinging, and renewed existence, and then you have all the other things. And so what it's getting at is like, yeah, what it said, there, there's all these links from different things and often they don't come at any particular order because while you're experiencing one thing, you're creating uh, another link from another set. Okay. So that's kind of like, you know, telling us you got to have a big flexible mind to understand this, how this works. Because if you want to make everything one, two, three, four, five, with no variation, then it's not going to make sense, yeah? But when you get into it, yeah, it's like it's like a marsh where everything is flowing. Okay. Looked at from the broad perspective of continual rebirth in samsara, each of these three groups causes the others with no fixed order. Afflictions cause karma, which bring about dukkha, unsatisfactory results. Included in these results are the mental aggregates among which afflictions and karmic seeds are found. As Nagarjuna says, with these three paths, okay, meaning afflictions, karma, and result, those are the three paths, with these three paths mutually causing each other without a beginning, middle, or end, 
This wheel of cyclic existence turns like the wheel of a firebrand. Okay, so the 12 links of dependent uh, origination are called links because they are connected and intertwined with each other. They follow one right after the other so quickly that like a twirling firebrand, it is hard to tell where one set of 12 links stops and another begins. So this is what it says that, that these three groups cause the others with no fixed order because... You know, this one and that one, the hoo-hoo, yeah. In fact, as we shall see, there are several descriptions of how a complete set of 12 links operates. Okay, so uh, I think this is a good, well, I'll read one more paragraph, and then this is this will be a good place to stop. And like I said, good to, if you read ahead. The links may be divided into projecting causes and effects and actualizing causes and effects. Projecting causes, okay, they're the ones that are projecting the next life, are links 1, 2, and 3A, ignorance, formic actions, and causal consciousness. Projected effects are links 3B through 7. Resulting consciousness, name and form, six sources, contact and feeling. Then actualizing causes are links 8 through 10, craving, clinging, and renewed existence. And actualized effects are links uh, 11 and 12, birth, aging, and death. Okay, so... Yeah, whenever it says, um, okay, so whenever it says causes, whether they're projecting causes or actualizing causes, it's going to refer to afflictions and karma. Wherever it says effects, whether it's projected or actualized effects, it's referring to 3A through through 7, and then birth, aging, and death. Okay. And then there's several different explanations. So we'll do the explicit explanation. Then there's two implicit explanations. Okay. Then there's the Pali tradition presentation of how they work together. Yeah. So we're going to get a variety of things and then go into the ultimate nature of the 12 links. Okay. Questions, comments? Yeah. Earlier tonight, you read this sentence that says, aging is the body and mind that decay under the control of afflictions and karma. Mm-hmm. And of course, the body, mm-hmm. but this jumped out to me at me tonight with the mind because it's indestructible, it absorbs at the time of death, 
So why is the word decay used and to refer to what's going on with the mind? With the mind? Yeah. Okay. Well, it may have to do with becoming older and not being able to think so clearly. Of course, we start out this life young and not being able to think so clearly. And then we grow up and we still can't think so clearly. Um, Yeah, but it could also refer to, you know, as we age, how our ideas get sometimes pretty concrete and our emotional patterns get also very concrete. So in that way, our mental flexibility is... Not so great. Could that be a result, though, of this interaction between the physical brain impacting? Some of it could be, but some of it is just habit. Yeah, it's not only habit. I mean, habit makes it sound like it's just a bad habit. Mm -hmm. It's constant repetition, reinforcing again and again. And you're not just reinforcing something like, you know, you have the habit of thinking two and two is five. You're reinf- we're reinforcing things that have existed in our mind for eons. Okay? So it's, it's uh, yeah. Yeah, but it's true, isn't it? Many times our way of thinking and our emotions get pretty concretized as we grow older. Very difficult to see situations in a new way. Very difficult to train the mind to interpret situations in a new way, to to, uh, stop tormenting ourselves with certain habitual emotions. Other comments or questions? Okay. Yeah. More just a comment because I was telling you that I've tried drawing out the uh, yeah. 12 links and I've run out of paper because. It's getting really convoluted and <laughs> circular, and um, yeah, it's gonna. It needs to be more like a mobile rather than a piece uh-huh. of paper, yeah. <laughs> a kaleidoscope. Yeah, so. yeah. But drawing is is a really good way to to understand these and to to link them up and see how they affect each other. Yeah. Okay. <laughs>